AFS Viewfinders podcast is designed to deepen and broaden appreciation of film. Brought to you by the Austin Film Society and hosted by our programmers and friends. Uh, welcome to the AFS Viewfinders podcast. I'm Chale Napus, retired director of programming, Austin Film Society. And I am Karen Grunberg, director of the Center for Middle Eastern Studies at UT Austin and associate professor of literature in the Department of Middle Eastern Studies at UT. So we're here today to discuss the 13th annual Children of Abraham Ibrahim series of films from the Middle East. Uh, we started this in 2006. Uh, the Center for Middle Eastern Studies became involved maybe about, I guess, seven, six or seven years ago, helping choose films and uh, pay for the rental and, and bring in a director every year. This year, uh, I'll discuss some of the films we're going to show. The one we're showing from Israel, and we nearly always have an Israeli film, uh, Harmonia. You want to mm -hmm. talk about that some, Karen? Sure. Um, well, I don't want to give too much away, uh, but Harmonia is a film that I believe came out in 2016, um, directed by Ori Sivan. And um, it's a sort of modern retelling of... Um, uh, part of uh, a narrative, a biblical narrative from the book of Genesis mm -hmm. about um, Sarah and Hagar and Abraham, the patriarch. Um, what's interesting about, well, there are a lot of wonderful things about it. First of all, it takes place in the sort of milieu of the Jerusalem Philharmonic Orchestra. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very intimate and personal film. Um, it has a lot to do with music with mm -hmm. symphonic music, which is constantly in the background of the film. But it's also very much a political film. The politics is very subtle, which is mm -hmm. one of the things I appreciate about it, but it's also definitely present. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, one of the things I like the most about it is that in its modern retelling of the tale, it's pretty sparse, as is the biblical tale, mm -hmm. but it's also very much based on the perspectives of the two women who are involved in a kind of rewrites their story from um, sort of from that sort of wo woman's dimension, the maternal dimension of the tale, which is not really something that we see in the biblical story. Mm -hmm. So, um, and besides that, it's just a gorgeous film. It's just okay. visually stunning. Um, the colors are, you know, I couldn't stop thinking about those colors after oh, watching oh, the film okay. and hearing the music. So it's just very sort of stimulating in many ways. Great. Yeah. Do the colors sometimes represent some of the emotions going on on the screen? Um, you know, uh, they're very vivid, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of restraint mm -hmm. in the acting um, and in the interactions between people. I mean, if, if anyone has ever been to the region and sort of visited Jerusalem, restraint is, is probably not the emotion you would most oh, associate oh, wow. with it, right? Oh. And so it may well be that that kind of intensity of the colors and in the music is a sort of a counterpoint mm -hmm. um, to what we see on the surface of the actors' faces and on their bodies. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, your background is comparative literature. That's right. And so you've studied Hebrew literature. Right. And with right. other cultures and all. Right. Um, with Israeli cinema, how often does literature uh, come into play? Certainly this is biblical or the Torah. 
Right. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So the Bible definitely comes into play. And there are also a lot of novels that have been made into films mm. to varying degrees of success. Mm. Uh, but I think that Israeli culture is very much a textual culture. Mm. So there is um, and you see also that literary figures in Israel are very much involved um, vocally in, in sort of in politics and so on. So they're very mm. much in the public eye. Mm. People know what authors look like. Oh, um, yeah. As far as film sort of borrowing from literature, I think there are some shared um, concerns and tropes and themes, but I think that Israeli cinema really has come into its own mm -hmm. um, and, and is doing really interesting and original things, um, sometimes in tandem with things that are happening and sort of on the literary stage, and sometimes things that are all its own. And more than anything, I think this sort of, um, what we've been seeing more and more of out of Israel, um, and I'm, I'm not a cinema expert, so mm. this is just sort of my impressions, right. um, but it's the sort of insistence on seeing Israel in its regional context. Mm. Um, and so this is sort of an appropriate topic for this conversation about the Middle East film series, right, is that, right. Um, Israel is, it's in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> it may seem obvious to us from <coughs> over here. Sometimes it's not so obvious when you're reading Hebrew literature, but it, it mm. certainly is mm. more and more evident in the films. Mm. Yeah. Great, mm. very good. Mm. Now we've shown some films in the past that were very overtly involved with the Palestinian mm -hmm. issue. Right. Uh, in fact, Susan Youssef did a film about a young Palestinian and a young Israeli or maybe he was Israeli uh, Arab, I'm mm -hmm, not sure. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then there was some other film, I can't remember, it was about an olive grove, and it was in the occupied The Lemon Tree. Lemon Tree. The Lemon yeah, Tree. it was Lemon, right. Yeah. Wonderful film, right. So, um, generally speaking, I would say that with our series, since there's so much information, uh, disinformation on the news <laughs> about the Middle East, mm -hmm. um, not a lot of our films have to do with political situations. It, inevitably, some will. But um, it's interesting how many Israeli films have dealt with that. It's almost like it has to be dealt with. Well, and with Israeli films, I, I really feel that even those films, and there are films that really try to disengage mm -hmm. from the political mm -hmm. I mean, that's a political stance too, right? No, really. So it's, it's just, it's not, I don't think that it's possible to, to, to be apolitical in, mm -hmm. the, in the Israeli context. Um, and in fact, the film that we showed, that we screened last year from there was, uh, was a film that was made by a Palestinian Israeli filmmaker. Right. Um, that was the selection for, for Israel, and it was called In Between. Yes, right. Um, and that was also right. a wonderful, wonderful film. And again, a film that was very much about the lives, sort of intertwined lives of three women. So this is mm. a, a connection to this year's film is that, again, it's, it's really focused on the women's experiences. Right. Um, and um, and um, there are three women who are very, very different, even though they're all Israeli-Palestinian, mm -hmm. Palestinian-Israelis or Israeli-Arabs or however yeah. you, you would like to refer to them, um, very different women. Um, very different worldviews, mm -hmm. um, and yet what brings them together is this feeling of belonging neither to what they see as a patriarchal Palestinian, sort of conservative Palestinian culture, um, nor to Jewish-Israeli, majority Jewish-Israeli culture. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so it's, again, very intimate and personal about these women's lives, but exceedingly political, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, mm -hmm. all right, very good. Uh, one of the other films we're showing is from Lebanon. It's uh, Capernaum, directed by Nadine Labaki. One, and I'll talk about that in a minute. One thing that I've noticed uh, over the years of doing this is that in the early portion, say from 2006 to 2010, I had to really look hard to find films directed by women. Mm. It doesn't mean they were not wanting to direct, but we know why they weren't directing generally. Patriarchy has existed everywhere. Uh, but more and more, even without very consciously seeking films, directed by women, they're just beginning to be more of those in existence. And mm -hmm. Nadine Labaki is one. Uh, she did a film earlier called Where Do We Go Now that we had shown before. Um, she's an actress who is also a director now. Mm -hmm. So Capernaum is a very beautiful, I want to say beautiful, emotionally beautiful film about a young boy who's just basically living on the street and uh, he befriends uh, a woman from Ethiopia and begins to be a caretaker of her young son while she goes off to work. Uh, but he gets arrested, and uh, what makes the film so fascinating is that he decides to sue his parents mm -hmm. for giving birth to him and not following up with raising him. And so he's been trying to rescue his sister from the family. So it's a very heart-rending film, gut-wrenching in many ways, but uh, again, very sensitively done. And the young kid that plays the main star, um, he was literally uh, a, a Syrian refugee that Nadine Labaki found on the streets of Beirut. And he's just one of those natural actors. She really didn't have to shoot each shot a hundred times and pick one. He just mm -hmm. was really perfect in the part. And this is a really different film than Caramel. Didn't she make Caramel? I think was so. that her? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Very, very different sorts of films. Yeah, talk about that. I don't remember that. that Caramel well. was about, oh, I saw it years ago, mm -hmm. but I remember it also being very much a film about uh, women in Beirut mm -hmm. um, and the sort of the, the di different sorts of struggles that they privately face. But I can't, I, I really can't remember any details, yeah, but okay. I remember that it was also really visually um, beautifully done. Um, and that's, I think, what, what brought her to the attention of the world uh, as a yeah, director, was okay. that film. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think she was known as an actress mm -hmm. before, mm -hmm. and I can't remember if she was in Caramel. She's not in this mm -hmm. film, mm -hmm. uh, Capernaum. But uh, the uh, next film, uh, Three Faces by Jafar Panahi. Panahi is a very interesting director. He is not allowed to make films. Uh, he was censored towards the end of 2009, 2010, and the Iranian government uh, was so upset with a film that he helped edit uh, called White Meadows, directed by uh, Mohammed Rusala. Uh, both of them were censored by the government. In fact, they went to prison for a while. Uh, and somehow Panahi has made four films under complete blackout. He started out with a film that he titled, This Is Not a Film, and he made it all in his apartment mm -hmm. and then shot it all digitally, and it's a fascinating film, a director just talking about film, 
and he put it onto a thumb drive and had it smuggled out of Tehran in a cake instead wow. of a <laughs> saw or file being smuggled into a prison mm -hmm. inside of a cake. He smuggled out his film. So we are showing Three Faces, his fourth film, under the censorship. He did lots of great films before the censorship. But Three Faces is um, it's an interesting setup, an actress, television sort of, um, I guess a soap opera star, receives messages from a, a teenage girl in a remote village in Iran uh, saying that she's going to kill herself if she can't become a uh, television actress. And she supposedly films her suicide. And so the, the soap opera actress gets her friend, Javad Banai, and they drive to that little village and try to find the girl. I won't say what else happens. It's not as depressing as it sounds. Uh, but it's, uh, w there's an elderly actress living in that town also, and so you're getting some sense of the pre-revolutionary history, uh, of uh, pre-revolutionary Iranian cinema, mm -hmm. and then the present with the soap opera, and then the potential future with the young girl. Mm -hmm. it's, it's beautifully done. Yeah. The final film in the series on September 24th, a Tuesday, is Marjun and the Flying Headscarf, directed by Susan Youssef, and she will be attending. She's coming down from Arkansas uh, to show the film and then to have a discussion afterwards with uh, Hazim. And uh, she has been a recipient of AFS grant money twice, once for a short documentary and once for, I think for the predecessor, the short version of Marjun and the Flying Headscarf. So Erica, would you like to talk about the AFS grant, please? Great, yeah, happy to. I think, um, you know, the Austin Film Society or AFS grant is uh, just another way that we make great, um, great film and independent filmmaking accessible to all of Texas. Mm -hmm. So yes, she also received a grant for an earlier feature in a documentary short Correct. early yeah. in her career um, when she was a student at UT, I think, right? Um, yeah. But that's kind of where we think our money is best used is looking for people who are pretty early in their career or really poised for um, what we call career leaps, where it sort of makes the most sense for them to go to the next level of mm -hmm. their, their filmmaking ability. So we are in our 24th year of giving, so this started in 1996. Um, and we are kind of in the final stages of our features um, grant, and we uh, will have a deadline for the shorts grant in this, or October. October 7th is our shorts grant deadline. So we've got about, uh, we've supported about 413 filmmakers wow. over those 24 years, which is quite a lot, um, and probably 500 and so projects, mm -hmm. uh, films that probably have made it out. Some of them maybe not, and that's okay too. <laughs> um, and we've given away, you know, close to one point nine million dollars at this point and so hopefully this year we'll be kind of tipping over the two million dollar mark which is mm, really fantastic right. um fantastic for an organization like ours so um yeah really looking at people who are ready for career leaps but also paying attention to um 
filmmakers who are normally not represented in independent media or, or underrepresented in independent media. So female directors and writers, um, you know, filmmakers who identify with communities of color. Mm -hmm. You know, these are voices that are really unheard in Hollywood, but are still underrepresented in the independent filmmaking community. So we really want to make sure those voices are heard and supported. So um, we had some great examples of filmmakers this year go on to great things. Um, you know, PJ Raval and Andrew Bajowski and editor Leah Marino now being inducted into the Academy this mm -hmm. year, which is fantastic. Uh, a couple of filmmakers, Channing Peoples and Annie Silverstein, also being noted, you know, filmmakers to watch out for and getting their films. Um, that were also AFS supported kind of out in the world. Uh, Annie was at Cannes with her new film, her feature film that was AFS supported. So it's really kind of a way to support, you know, the Texas filmmaking community. And I think it's one of the most unique grants in our region. Um, we also have, as part of that grant, a travel grant, um, which also supports Texas filmmakers to travel to uh, markets and film festivals outside of Texas when they get in and that's part of the support they need to look at you know meet distributors meet other festival mm -hmm. folks really learn the industry um, so once you kind of make that film the next step is really being out there with your film and having those experiences um, so that you can support kind of a longer career past mm -hmm. that film. AFS does not determine who receives those grants how is that handled? Correct so we the team itself does not handle, uh, make determinations of who receives the grant. We actually get a lot of support from our um, local community who do some of the first round of screening. So local filmmakers and film festivals and film professionals and organizations help us. And then our finalist round is determined by um, guests from outside of Texas. And they're usually film programmers at film festivals, uh, you know, filmmakers uh, who have not received grants before but have, are familiar with the Texas industry or have been on juries and panels um, for other organizations. So this year, actually, our panelists are coming from uh, New York and Toronto, and our um, programmer is from the Sun Valley Film Festival. Right. Yeah. Sun Valley, not Sundance. Sun Valley <laughs> in Idaho. Idaho. Yeah, so it's kind of the new Sundance, I hear. But <laughs> we've got some really great creative, creative filmmakers um, in a beautiful setting, kind of mm -hmm. idyllic, like, the Sundance, uh, how Sundance started, but also some new partner for AFS. Okay, yeah. very good. Um, so I was wondering, um, who who funds these grants? Where does the money come from? <laughs> um, a lot of the funding actually comes from, you know, like-minded individuals and individuals who actually want to support uh, independent filmmaking in Texas. So individual donors, our Texas Film Awards actually is a great fundraiser and supports um, our grant funds and the artist services program that we have. Um, also the NEA, um, get some grants from the NEA. Yeah. To tie in with what Erica was saying, we're bringing in Susan Youssef, who directed the film Marjun and the Flying Headscarf. And it's, it's a film actually made in Arkansas. And most of our films are all from the Middle East, mm -hmm. occasionally North Africa. But uh, the diaspora of people from the Middle East has become very important also. And so we had this relationship with Susan Youssef quite a while ago, showed one of her earlier films. And so she will be in attendance to show the film and discuss it. And um, 
what I love about that film is it takes place in Little Rock, Arkansas, and it's about a young uh, family uh, uh, from the Middle East, and the, the young woman is beginning to wear the headscarf now. Mm-hmm. So it opens with an incredible shot of her flying down the highway on a motorcycle, and she's not a passenger. She's riding, driving the motorcycle, but with her headscarf. Right behind her so it's a very american image i think in many ways so thank you very much for listening and we hope to see you at afs cinema starting on september 5th